I Don't Care If You Listen podcast with my mom, Shalini, and my auntie, Leonica. Here we are back again, episode two, I Don't Care If You Listen. That's the name of our podcast. My name is Shalini. That's my girl, Leonica. Hello. Here's the deal. We had our first one. We got it off our chest. We laid the groundwork. We basically told you that this is a space for us to vent, to group think, to come together and just understand that we agree on a lot of stuff. We may disagree on some stuff, but we just need a space. We needed a space. Here is our space. This is our space. This works for me. We appreciate you for listening, though. Yeah. If you do listen, awesome. If you don't, cool. I don't care. I don't care if you listen. We needed to do this. So thanks for um, anybody and everybody who checked out the link, who read the post, which, by the way, Lee was beautiful. Thank you. I think it perfectly kind of encompassed our relationship and where we were and where we are and what's going on. So thank you for doing that. Oh, no problem. My pleasure. Beautiful. All right. So um, we said we were going to talk about God. We will talk about God. Uh, But, you know, one of the big reasons that we need to vent is that we have leadership in this country that is scaring the bejeebies out of both of us. One of the first hot topics this week, which I got to tell you, I was a little disgusted to see everywhere. It is tearing me up oh my god just her whole persona omarosa that's who we're talking about people omarosa omarosa she um she's on tmz she's on the view she's just making her runs everybody wants to know about the tapes she's an opportunist i never liked her before i don't like her now I'm not surprised that she turned on him i'm just surprised it took her this long to turn on him i don't know I don't know. He turned on her. She turned on him. He turned on her. They're just a volatile bunch of schmucks looking for attention just by being volatile. Because why don't we talk trash so then that way people pay attention to us? Come on. Distractions, distractions, distractions. You're breaking the government. Let's focus. Shell, she was on the Tom Joyner Morning Show this morning. Uh-oh. And she told the listeners there that she was on an undercover mission to expose Trump for the rest of us especially those of us in the black community. She wanted to expose his hidden agenda. <laughs> Does she think everybody fell off a truck yesterday? She, so she thinks, you know what she thinks? I bet she's thinking if Trump's people, by people, his people, they want. if Trump's people support him, despite all the dumb shit he says, then quote unquote, my people, as she probably sees it, mm-hmm. will support me despite whatever I do and say. I don't think that's the case. She has never been our people. I know. Not for a minute. Not for a minute. Not through The Apprentice. Nope. And definitely not when she took that position at the White House. That just sold her all the way out. So uh, that's what they were talking about on TMZ. Will she ever be welcomed back in the black community? The thing is, is I don't think she ever looked at the black community than anything more than an opportunity. All it was for her was some version of a stepping stone for her to get to where she needed to go. I think Gail King, Oprah's best friend, you know, she was on um, CBS this morning. I think Gail King kind of has that same feeling that you and I have, which is like, we didn't like you anyway. Like, so now, why are we trusting you now? Like, you're not trustworthy. And I'm definitely not giving you my money, not my hard earned. Please get up out of here. <laughs> Listen luck. to what she had to say. CBS This Morning. This was her interview. Gail King and the crew there. Summer as uh, Manigault Newman is with us in Studio 57. Her new memoir, Unhinged, 
is published by a division of Simon & Schuster, which is owned by CBS. Good morning. Good morning. Let's start with the tape. You said you had uh, done some taping when you were fired to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. But this is during the campaign. Why are you taping things in the middle of a campaign? The moment we start talking about the N-word tape, I was surprised, as you heard on that recording, how no one doubted that he said it. And in fact, they had worked to try to suppress this tape for so long. And everyone says, he said it. He's embarrassed. He doesn't want this to come out. And now they're saying they have never heard these allegations. And it's ironic that these are high-level campaign staffers talking about how to react. About why you were taping. I'm curious too about why were you taping. Because the truth matters, Gail. And in fact, if I didn't have this tape, you all would probably be wondering if, in fact, they did talk about it. She mentions Kellyanne on the tape and says that she talked to Kellyanne or Kellyanne discussed this with the President of the United States. And now he's tweeting at me, saying that he never said it is not in his vocabulary when he discussed this on Trump Force One during the campaign. Stepping back from the specifics of the tape, the question with everything you're saying and you're coming forward, you were taping during the campaign. Oh, yeah. There is this question about your credibility and the fact that you were kind of already taping things and working behind the scenes during the campaign. My father had an expression, you know, we can't hear you because your actions are speaking more loudly. Why are people supposed to pay attention to what you're saying now when you're the kind of person who would be taping campaign press conference or phone calls in the middle of the campaign? Yes, I'm the kind of person who covers her own back. In Trump world, everyone lies. Everyone says one thing one day and they change their story the next day. I wanted to have this type of documentation so that in the event I found myself in this position where, as you said, they're questioning my credibility, saying they never discussed the N-word tape, they had never heard these accusations, the president had never heard these accusations, when in fact this tape proves that they discussed it at high levels of the Trump campaign. Well, Frank Lentz reached out to me because you had said he had heard it. He said you never called him, emailed him. No, I didn't. In fact, the book said that Katrina... He said, I've never heard the president use that. Well, it's important. In Unhinged, I never say that I spoke to him. Katrina Pearson, the spokesperson for the Trump campaign, says on that recording that she communicated with him and that he had heard it. I speak. Hold on. <clears throat> My kid's screaming. One second. Oh, it's the last fight scene in the Star Wars movie. Okay, here. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> He's like. He was, he was going off. He was. He was. And he gets into it. Like he is, like his daddy in wrestling. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this chapter about yes. what happened between Katrina and Frank Luntz. He's absolutely right. I never spoke to him. Never reached out to him. I was simply reporting what was on the tape. He says it's not true. But well, why do you want to work, take? Why do you want to work in a world, as you say, where everybody lies? Why do you want to be? Well, I've been in politics for twenty years. Everybody lies <laughs> in politics. I worked in the Clinton administration during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, where he first said he never had uh, relations with her, and we found out that that was a lie. I learned very early on in politics that this is a cutthroat world, and you have to be tough. Twenty years in. The way in politics, and I've learned some lessons. Number one, you have to look out for yourself. And two, things change, relationships change, and people always protect themselves. You have to look out for uh, Marissa, yourself. Marissa, there are conflicting reports as to when you first heard the tape where the president allegedly uses the N word. There are reports that you heard this uh, last year uh, while you were still working in the administration. I didn't hear it last year. As when I, did you first hear it? I did not hear it until after I closed the book and I had an opportunity to fly out to California, and the person allowed me to hear it. Had I heard it while I was working in the White House, I would have left immediately. 
So, so let's say the tape exists. Now what? What is the purpose of, so the tape comes out, we hear it. What do you hope will come out of this? Well, the sad thing is, um, as we saw with Access Hollywood, it probably won't impact his base. I think that their support is baked in, but it does expose him for the racist that he is. You also said that you and the president in your book have a symbiotic relationship, mm -hmm. that you two used each other. What is the nature of your relationship, Amarosa? There's all sorts of rumors about you and Donald Trump. Can you tell us what is the nature or what was the nature of your relationship? I know you're happily married. I just met your husband backstage. Very nice. A very oh. handsome, smart, okay. talented you said husband, that. You said John that. Allen Newman. But what is the nature of your relationship? Donald Trump was, was my mentor, Gail. He was my mentor for many, many years. And, um, you know, in 2003, I wanted to be like him. I grew up in extreme poverty in Youngstown, Ohio. And I aspired to be a billionaire one day. And what better way to become a billionaire than to study under a billionaire? The two of you never had a romantic relationship? Absolutely ever. not. Well, you've heard that rumor, I'm sure. Well, that's a, a, that's a charge that's launched against successful women to kind of degrade them and undermine their success. I'm very well educated. I have incredible experience. And I have never had to leverage sex to get anywhere I needed to go. So what do you hope will come out of all of this? I think the truth matters. And I believe that we should keep the truth as a priority in this uh, administration. They struggle with the truth and they construct their own reality deceiving the American people. Very quickly, you have everything that you say in the book backed up by tape or email? Absolutely. If you see it in quotes, it can be verified, cooperated, and it's well documented. And you keep, it's almost, it feels like a form of blackmail with the tapes. Either release the tape. I'm not asking for anything. I'm telling my story on unhinged. I'm telling my story on unhinged. If you get the book, you see the quotes, it is backed up and verified. Marissa, we appreciate you joining us. Thank, Thank you for you. having me. All right, so what you think about Omarosa? Dang, dog. <laughs> That's all I can say. He called her a dog. <laughs> That's kind of messed up. Could you? I'm make, not you're laughing. You're my do double G. I, right, you're my do double G. <laughs> I'm not laughing but at the fact that he called. Yeah, I'm not laughing at the fact that he called her that. Because to me, he. The, can I tell you what I think is funny? I think it's hilarious that she thinks that she is breaking news with this N word stuff. You're but, telling but, me but, that I'm su I'm supposed to be shocked and surprised that he said the N word. He's grabbing, you know what, on tape. He is the same guy who got sued for discriminating against people of color, renting in his his real estate exactly. he is he's taken endorsements from ted nugent david duke known white supremacists he doesn't have any black people in positions of power in his administration oh i'm surprised he used the n-word sorry give me something come on omarosa you you're in the entertainment business give me something i don't know so screw you and your book and you forever looking at him as a mentor because if you look at trash as a mentor guess what the you are well, and she knows that. And and he, he referred to her as such when he called her a dog. And, and that's really gross, too, because I'm conflicted as a woman because he might as well have called her a bitch. Yeah. You know, he was it, it was a ploy to shut her down. But yeah. at the same time, I'm like, well, the way you went about this, acting out the stereotype, you know? This conversation about DT... Um, calling her a dog was one of the things that came up when I said to Chris, like, 
my vulnerability with this podcast and kind of putting my real self out there is, you know, I'm a potty mouth and I have really strong opinions. I was voted most opinionated in high school and I don't find my opinions to be hurting any life or hurting any, have the intention of hurting anybody. My opinions, I feel like value humanity. And so, and maybe you feel like yours do and you're listening and you think completely different things, but I think DT is a destruction of humanity. His existence is a destruction of humanity. His leadership of a nation is a destruction of humanity and he's got us all held hostage and I hate him for it. So there's that. The president calling Omarosa a dog on Twitter was when my husband said to me, why do you care what you sound like on social media or on a <laughs> podcast? He was like, why do you care what you sound like? Because he's so trashy. No one's going to think you're trashier than him. And I'm not because I, I consider myself, you know, a person of class and integrity and decency. And I do not consider him any of those things. I'm sorry. If Even you do. with your potty mouth. Even with my potty mouth. So Chris is like, so what do you care? I'm like, you know, that's true. What so what, what's I'm a wrestler now? Is she an angry black woman like the poem in the first edition? Oh, right. <laughs> first episode, the name of the poem is... An Angry Black Woman's Poem, part one. If you haven't read it or heard it, go back to the first podcast and listen to it. It is a great poem. I don't want to talk about your business too, too much because I know that we've got this, you know, careful what we talk about thing, thing. But... You've been accused, I've been accused of being outspoken or intimidating or whatever because I feel like I like You're to get... in leadership. But I like to get my point across quickly, efficiently, effectively. Like a man. And, and you've been accused of being too this and too that and too this and too that. Oh, and yeah, too forceful, too domineering, too aggressive. When you Somebody just, even said that I hate white men. Who said that? <laughs> no, okay, don't let's talk about not talk about that. Really, somebody said that. Yeah, I've been accused of hating white men. Man, they should have spent time with us in college. <laughs> they would know <laughs> we had all kinds of friends. Okay, do you want to get into that more, or do you want to leave it at that? We'll get in that in another episode. Okay, Amarosa being called a dog, and him didn't he at one point say something about somebody? Um, and blood. Well, didn't he say something about the MSNBC morning host and, and blood and made some kind of reference to her? I, anyways, inappropriate because that's the kind of guy he is. I think this is all a distraction. I wouldn't be surprised if Omarosa and DT got together and said, hey, let's have a public feud. And he could be like, yeah, that'll give me time to get this Russian thing over here figured out and like, you know, get all the right people fired. He fu- revoked he revoked credentials from somebody today that is never it's unprecedented as i understand it i think a cia guy oh really yeah i haven't watched the news today yeah but that doesn't surprise me and you know what i think they got together and planned it in the bed when they had their little affair and that's why his private security escorted her off the white house as opposed to secret service Oh, I have that audio. Hold on. Um, Trump Trump revokes former CIA director Brennan's security clearance. Whoa, Brennan's? So here's my thing. How do people have all this Blue Lives Matter and Cops Lives Matter, but the people at the very tip top, the FBI directors and those people who are lifelong patriotic, you know, wow. serving their community people, how come we don't have their back? How come you're not getting all up in arms and like blue lives matter on their back? FBI lives don't matter. CIA lives don't matter. 
Only, don't. only, only, and appreciate whatever lo- the local cops do to help communities. But like, you're telling me the big dudes don't matter? Because those big dudes were doing fake news. But the big dudes, I think most, a lot of them were doing their jobs. Just like going about their job. Like, okay, we're getting hacked by Russians. We got to be careful how we release this. Like, you know, like, I think they were doing their job. I think they were doing their jobs. But why are we going after our own intelligence? That to me is like as treason, as treasonous as you could be. As a president? You're calling out the, the same people who protect you? You're calling out the same people? It's not about democracy. <laughs> the, he has turned the presidency into a dictatorship, like you said the last time. And I don't know if we recorded it or if it was a different take, but remember you said he may not get out of office. I he really... may change the whole Constitution so that he can stay there. He's that kind of guy. I know, and I think that he is going to barricade himself in there. He is going to take... He's going to... There are so many positions in the government that are not filled right now that he has just, you know, have left or are gone. People with too much integrity to deal with it. That's just like a car breaking down. I heard somebody compare it to how that's how a car breaks down. Little by little, you stop taking care of the carburetor. You stop taking care of the, you know, the oil change. Right. You know what I mean? Like little by little, the machinery starts breaking down. I have a friend whose grandfather's passing away right now. It's like your body starts shutting down. A government starts shutting down when pieces of it stop working and he's like he's systematically breaking it down with the help of the russians and we are taking away credentials from a former cia director because what is going on um okay back to omarosa i want you to hear this audio That came up when I was watching interviews with Kellyanne Conway, the White House counselor who couldn't name uh-huh. one top black official in the administration. <laughs> and people are surprised that he, no one's going to be surprised to use the N-word, Omarosa. No. You know, no one's going to be surprised all. about that at all. No, she's an opportunistic, and she just wanted to exploit the situation because she lost her job. So what else was she going to do? I would have did the same thing. It's a distraction. They've totally got an agreement to be a distraction. I'm convinced of it. I don't really want to... I have the audio of Kelly Conway, you know, trying to work her way around why they don't have um, African Americans in the... uh, um, of the president, which you probably should, then then you should look at the fact that we have a number of different uh, minorities. And, and the fact is that this president is doing well for all Americans. He promised on November 9th, on his election night, he wrote it into the speech. I was there when he changed the speech and wrote it. And he said, I will be the president for all Americans, even those who didn't support me. He said, and there were more than a few. So yeah, at one time, he probably had in his speech that he was only going to protect the people who like David Duke and Ted Nugent and um, the very fine people of Charlottesville. <laughs> Just saying. That is who he's protecting. His constituents. The secret society. I'm trying to be less doom and gloom and more empowered. Do you sense the difference in my tone? 
Oh, okay. Like I like you said, I I really don't think Homeboy's going anywhere. I think we're broken. I love that there's so many people doing so many great things, and let's follow our dreams and do amazing stuff as long as we can. I don't know that this guy's ever going to leave, and I don't know that the world is... Or I don't know that, you know, the American way is going to be what a lot of people had anticipated. Just, just saying. I don't know. It looks pretty wrecked to me. Well, I think it's interesting he's got his own security. Okay. Do, other, pre- do other presidents have their own private security in addition to Secret Service? I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I mean, I don't know, but I mean... We could let me let me let me see. Let's see. Um, does uh, do presidents usually have private security? I'm sure somebody else has asked this. And then we live in the world of the internet. <clears throat> um. See, and then you got to be careful what news you read. Hi, buddy. Mm-hmm. How was Star Wars? Good. Yeah. Can you shut it off? Yeah, I'll shut it off. Um, oh, no. It is. It's a precedent breaking. According to the, the American Prospect, I don't know. I hope this isn't some, like, who knows what kind of, it's the internet, so whatever. Right. Know. It looks reliable. It looks like it makes good sense. From, <laughs> from It's called the American Prospect. I don't know. Um, okay, maybe it's a left wing, maybe it's a right wing. This one says Trump's precedent-breaking decision to retain private security. Let's see what the top headline here. CNN. I think that's still. I think they're still genuine reporters. Um, yeah. Well, it's got a circulation of thirty-seven thousand. U.S. Secret Service Director Joseph Clancy wants to set the record straight about Trump's private security team, whether it's causing conflict with the agents. Uh, that's from 2017, CNN Politics. I, I don't know. See, the thing is, nowadays you got to do more than you got to do more than just that to to fact check, you know, because you don't know where your stuff's coming from. Oh no, you're right. I, I, it is looks like it's precedent. <clears throat> it's unprecedented. How do you feel about there not being any black people in the White House? <laughs> It's not a surprise to me. I think that um, that's exactly what he planned and and wanted. I think that Obama being in the White House, I think that's what the whole campaign was about, was taking the White House back. That was making America great again. Having a black man in the White House, they acted like it was tainted. Mm. So, no, it does not surprise me. I think what surprises me is I've heard plenty of times or seen people say things about affirmative action and how, you know, it's not fair. And just because they got Indian in them or just because they got this in them or that in them or just because they're black or whatever, you know, like people say ignorant stuff. And I've heard a lot of that, like, just because they're that, that, you know, you know, they got to let them in. So I got cut. This guy got cut because of affirmative action. This guy didn't get the chance because, you know, they want to meet their quota. They got to have their minority. But, like, that, there's not even an obligation to have that in the White House, the head of the country. What makes you think that businesses are ever going to feel that obligation if it's not even in the White House? It's not businesses. It's just, you know, white supremacists. And, and, well, I shouldn't even say businesses. I'll say businesses, schools, 
whatever. Yeah, you know, it, whatever. it's white supremacist, and he he's definitely a, a very ethnocentric man, and you can tell this by the people who he socializes with. Yeah. Who support him. Yeah. It's really sad. They but want... we know that they will stack the deck in support of themselves if we aren't careful. And we have to protect ourselves. I mean, it, it, no, I'm not surprised. This is no different than history. I mean, this we thought we were making progress. We know. It was a sham. Ah, surprise! <laughs> we're still racist as hell over here. I mean, seriously, we just, it was a sham. So Sarah Sanders said something stupid in a press conference, you know, where she gets her stage for BS every day. Um, uh-huh. So today on the stage for BS, or yesterday on the stage, just listen to this story. I had to find something that kind of gave us the audio. This is from... Um, All right, White House Secretary Sarah Sanders issuing a rare correction, apologizing for falsely claiming President Trump created three CNN, times as many jobs for African Americans than former President Barack Obama. President, since he took office in the year and a half that he's been here, has created 700,000 new jobs for African Americans. That's 700,000 African Americans that are working now that weren't working when this president took place. When President Obama left after eight years in office, eight years in office, he had only created 800 or 195,000 jobs for African Americans. So that's not even close to true. According to the Labor Department, the U.S. has created 700,000 jobs for African-American workers during the Trump administration. It added nearly 3 million jobs during Obama's eight years. Sanders later corrected herself via Twitter, saying the jobs numbers were correct, but the time frame for President Obama wasn't, I'm sorry for the mistake, but no apologies for the 700,000 jobs for African-Americans created under President Trump. Sanders made the claim while defending President Trump's record on race. Bloomberg first caught the mistake, prompting an apology from the White House Council of Economic Advisors. It cited a miscommunication to Sanders. I will say there have been a lot of wrong numbers thrown around by the administration about the um, uh, about the economy. This is a rare apology and correction. A rare uh, apology and correction on any topic, yeah. much less just economic numbers. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like... Ooh, we got an apology that they were wrong. They lie about everything. They'd be apologizing like there'd be tickets, you know, the confetti on the streets of just apologies from <laughs> apologies. them. <laughs> <laughs> right. They were giving apologies like Oprah was giving away prizes. You get an apology. You get an apology. You get an apology. <laughs> as long as it's with apologies and he doesn't start pardoning people like Paul Manafort. Um, can we talk about God? Because I got to get my kid to bed. <laughs> you want to talk about God and then put your kid to bed. <laughs> can we do that? So we, we a few weeks back, we had... Um, oh, and can we stop, by the way, I'd like to stop calling the Trump thing an administration. I think we should just call them a re- regime because it's just a yeah, big regime. They are. they are no longer an administration. Um, oh, and don't eat Nathan's hot dogs. That guy is a big Trump supporter. So you know best... Um, no, we got uh, Home Depot... Walmart for sure, Nathan's Hot Dogs, um, Papa John's Pizza, New Balance Shoes. Okay, those are all Trump supporters. Just heads up. Yeah, I know, I know. They make it so hard. Okay, God, let's talk about God. So this is a conversation that came up uh, with you and I before. Chelsea Handler, this is from 2017 with Neil deGrasse Tyson. She talks to him about God. And you have had some recent changes. When you and I first met, you were pretty Christian in your belief, like your 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 religion, right? 
Yeah, I was raised a Christian. Yeah. Um, I was raised a Hindu, and I, I guess I'm still... There's a lot of, like, rituals that are involved, and so I, I, I do them, and I say prayers and stuff. But Here's Chelsea Handler talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson. As a scientist, do you believe in God? So, in the West, there's two-thirds of scientists pray to a personal God on the expectation it will intervene in their day's affairs. But I can tell you this. Productive scientists do not bring their their Bible, their scripture, their holy books into the lab because they do not mix there. So they draw a line in the sand and they do one in one place and they worship on the weekend, Saturday or Sunday, whatever is your, your religious tradition, there. So to ask whether they can coexist, the answer is yeah, is empirically yes. I didn't ask that. I asked you, do you believe in God? Every description of God that I've heard holds God to be uh, all-powerful, very typical, and all-good. And then I look around, and I see a tsunami that killed a quarter million people in Indonesia, an earthquake that killed a quarter million people in Haiti. And I see earthquakes and tornadoes and disease, childhood leukemia. And I see all of this, and I say, I do not see evidence of both of those being true simultaneously. If there is a God, the God is either not all-powerful or not all-good. So I'm, so I'm, so I, if you have good evidence, I'm good for it, but I'm evidence driven. You need evidence. More than scientist, yeah. Faith, faith driven. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. And by the way, to be faith driven is one thing, but to be faith driven and try to create legislation on that, that affects other people who don't share your faith. Right. That's the beginnings of a theocracy. And we have evidence of what that is in the past. And our founding fathers specifically founded this country to prevent that from happening. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts, my dear? Well, he said it all. What more can I say? I mean, that's basically my stance these days. I I was raised one way and told to do certain things and, and to never question them. And I couldn't help but to question them because I my mind thinks, you know what I mean? And I don't even understand why a guy would create somebody like me who would question them if he didn't want me to question them. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'm totally with Degrassi about being evidence-based and the things that I see, I just don't see evidence that the rituals, the practices, and the prayers are effective at doing anything to progress us in terms of humanity. It's keeping us trapped <laughs> in a very... Oh my God, just antiquated system. And, you know, it's not just Christianity. I, I kind of feel that way about all religion in general. Um, and that's another reason why I kind of lost my religion, too. That was just a dream. That was just a dream. Lost my religion too. Lost my religion too. Because why are there so many? I mean, there are so many people on this earth. There is no way for one God or one certain entities of God to just run everything. They can't coexist. They they 
conflict each other. So, um, especially in Christianity, if you know you're a jealous God and you don't want anybody to worship any gods before you, but you're the most powerful God, why would you allow other gods to exist? That just, I mean. And if you're a forgiving God, then why would you hold that against somebody who's not of your belief? Exactly. Like, if you're God and you can make everything, why would you make anything that you oppose? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, that just makes common sense to me. I think it's more physics. I think we, it, our existence is more yin and yang, plus and minus, positive, yeah. negative. I think it it's is. It's energy. It is. I think it's dark side, light side. I think it's, you know, Star Wars has given me some stuff to think about with this kid watching Star Wars. But really, like, I think it's so much yin and yang. I mean, feminine and masculine, it's so much that it's. It's the periodic elements. Right. The periodic table of elements. That's my that's my God. If I'm going to worship anything, I'm going to worship that because I know what happens when those things mix. They produce everything. It, it produces gas. It produces liquid. It produces solids. That's God right there. Mm-hmm. 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 And that, that's why religions say God is within us because we are those things. Everything, zinc, gold, iron, oxygen everything that's on the periodic elements is within us in in alignment with what you're saying i think laughter and music are also yes. gods yes in, in that laughter music art i think that that side of us is as much our own god and who yes. we are inside as as anything else and hell is our worry our negative thoughts yes memory yeah trauma that is hell yes that's hell if i know that my children and my grandchildren are going to remember the things that i value the the love that i have for them then i know i'm going to be in heaven because they're going to carry me on my memory the things that grandma said do you know my grandma is in heaven because every day i talk about her that's it doing the things that she taught me to do. So she is alive and living within me all the time. Oh my you know? God. It's so true. I just I just came across a picture of my grandma and it had a, her dimple. I saw that and you look so much like her. Like I thought about her. You know, things that she used to say to me are in my head 24/7. She always used to say, "I see beauty in everyone." And she used to say, I'll be with you always. Like, I, no matter what, I'm going to be with you. Whether yes. I'm here or not, I'll always be with you. My grandmother said the same thing. And she is. Like, it, there are days I'll be in the kitchen and I'll cook something. And, like, maybe it, the smell of something that yes. I mix together <laughs> that she taught me. And it's like, I feel her presence. And it just, yeah, like, sometimes I, it, it just, I, I cry. Like, my husband's like, oh, my God. And, like I'm about to fall out because I, grandma's here. You know what I mean? I know she's here with me. It's so funny. I, my friend is going through losing, I told you she's going through losing her grandfather and you know, her mom got there and you know, her mom was out of town. Her mom got there to be with her grandfather. And I was like, it feels good. It's almost like an extension of you. Right? Like mm-hmm. that's how I felt. Like when yeah. my mom was with my grandma, if my grandma was and my mom was with her, I was like, okay, at least, you know, it's an extension of me. My mom is with her, but she, she used to cook these carrots for me uh, that I loved. And I tried making them at home and I couldn't get them to taste right. I went to my mom's house and I was asking her for spices and stuff. And, and she was like, oh, do you have onion seeds? And I was like, no. 
I was like, is, that's what goes in the... She was like, yeah, that's what you need for the carrots. I was like, I knew it. That was it. There was something missing. I got my onion seeds. I was like, I can make the carrots. Like, now I can make them. Like, she just was so smart, and she could talk about right. anything to anyone. Mine only had a third grade education. Mine was a college graduate in a day and age where Indian women did not go do that. Yeah, I bet. It's the yin and but, the yang. It's we live on. And when you live in people's minds positively and you exist yes. in people's worlds positively, you are passing on your energy. And that is how you stay alive forever. And that's, forever. that is yeah, immortality. It, that's heaven. That's what heaven yeah. is. I'm with yeah. you, girl. Um, so the, the, the one of the things that I wanted to, to mention about the God factor one of the philosophical theories that really got me in my senior year of college was Pascal's theory. It's called the, the wager. Okay. This is the Wikipedia description because it's more concise than I can probably be. Pascal's wager is an argument in philosophy presented by the 17th century French philosopher, mathematician, and physicist Blaise Pascal. It posits, 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 it posits that humans bet with their lives that God either exists or does not. So, by that, if you pray, you're not hurting anything, and so you might as well pray, because if there is a God at the end of the day, and they were looking for your prayers, at least you'll be in the good graces. But if you don't, and you do get there, and you're not able to pay up, then there's that. So that's Pascal's wager. He basically says that's what people do. They just bet with their lives. And you know what? That's true because that's what happened. Like, okay, I was raised in the church and all that. And I went to church and, you know, it was a way of life. And then I, I became an adult and kind of went out of it. My mom got sick with cancer and I needed something, right? So to get me through it. So I went back to church at this time. I said, I'm going to put myself all the way into it. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm going to pay tithes. And, you know, I did that. I did my 10%. I did my offering. I, I prayed. I even tried to speak in tongues. And what happened was I went to church where Lighthouse Full Life Ministries, where Barbara Sapp was the pastor. And it's a huge mega church, and he is a Grammy Award winning gospel artist. So it's a very progressive church. He he knows all these entertainers and 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 singers in the gospel world. They run in circles, and um, you know Kurt Franklin, <coughs> and, um, the Wine the the Wayans. The Winans family, not the Wayans, the Winans family. That'd be funny. Um, <laughs> right. Very different family. White chicks um, singing gospel. Bring it on. You know what? I would love to see that. That'd be funny. <laughs> but anyway, neither here nor there, his wife, Melinda Sett, got sick. And she had um, cancer, colon cancer, which my grandmother had and my auntie dad had, and they both passed. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm in the church and I'm a full believer. I'm going to throw myself into it. And, and they tell me, you have the power. Your faith can make things happen. If you believe, if two or more people get together and they say a prayer, they can make God work. Magic happens. Miracles come. Well, we had prayer calls, Shalini. It would be 50,000 people calling in. I know because, you know, on a conference call, they tell you what number you are. You know what I mean? That would be the 27,849th person calling. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we're all praying in agreement and holding hands. And 
Melinda dies. Like, really? All these saints coming together to pray fervently and effectively, and we still don't get the results. And that just didn't sit right with me. You know what I mean? And then uh, about a year or so later, you know, I stayed in the church tried, during that transition, tried to. But then my husband's grandmother got sick, and she was in her 80s. She was always in church. She got lung cancer. I don't know what her life was like when she was a younger. She had a lot of kids, but she was the most kindest, gentlest, sweetest lady in the world. You know what I mean? She just kept a jar of Jolly Ranchers so that you can always have something sweet whenever you come over. And they had the softest voice, and the cancer took its toll so fast and tore it down. And, like, we went to the nursing home to visit her, and you could just see her suffering. She couldn't speak. I had to give her water through a sponge. My mm. husband hardly even recognized his own grandmother. Mm. Her body had deteriorated so bad. Like, it was... I just couldn't believe that God would allow any one of his servants to suffer that way. And all of the women that I know who were constantly in church on their knees from sun up, from sundown, never cursing, maybe even where they all suffered horrible, horrible, paralyzing deaths. Mm. And I'm like, that is no way for somebody who's doing everything right, following all the Ten Commandments plus all the others. <laughs> you know, they're walking the tight line and then this is how they go out. This is the reward for the pain and suffering. You know, it's funny. No, I don't. My mom asked me not to eat meat on two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays, because there's special like, you know, homage to certain gods, you know, deities or whatever. And I shouldn't say whatever. I don't mean to be disrespectful. See, there's me doing Pascal. See, I'm doing Pascal, the wager. I don't mean to be disrespectful, universe, but I'm just saying, like, you know, but I almost feel stupid saying it when somebody will be like, oh, you should have the... You should have the brisket. Like, oh, what day is it? It's Monday. I almost feel like I can't have it on this day. Like, I almost feel kind of dumb about it. But, I mean, it's just a thing. I think it's more of a cultural thing than anything for me. It, it is. It's, it's rituals. Yeah. And you get caught up in it. And I love it. You know, I, I celebrate Christmas. I buy Christmas gifts. I still get caught up in all that stuff. And I love the togetherness. And I use it as an opportunity to reach out with family and stuff mm. because... I don't have any control over it. It's going to be imposed on me whether I like it or not. And I do see some value in the, you know, in the praying, you know, that, that helps structure your thoughts, your plans, calms your mind. You know what I mean? Meditation is, it's a form of meditation. And I think that that works and that is effective. I think there is some good things about not eating certain meats on certain days of the week to see what it does to your body because it all connects in some way. So I think that there are some really good things that we can pull out of our religion, but we can't expect anybody to save us. I I really have no proof of a heaven or hell. I don't know if we're going to be reincarnated. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the thing is, is as a Hindu, I've always been raised to believe we're going to be reincarnated. In some way. Like in America, nobody knows about Hinduism. People might know about Buddhism. Well, I mean, people people claim to know. You know, people always claim to know about Hinduism uh, when when I talk to them. They claim, and I I mean, I don't don't always know. I'm not, uh, my mom is more, you know, knowledgeable in 
you know, the texts and the scriptures and things like that than I am. I just, I probably come at it more from a spiritual and ritualistic, I have a universe kind of feeling. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, you call it God, you call it universe, you call it whatever. There is... Right. I call it nature. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is something that keeps my feet on the ground and keeps me standing up. There is something that keeps me doing that. Something so that we, makes our hands wave when we talk about it. Yeah. Like we, <laughs> There's something, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for lots of things. I'm grateful for so many things that it's like that's got to be god is what i'm grateful for i'm grateful for whatever is yeah for music music. that's what i miss the most about not going to church the The feeling that you get when the music just takes you and you just feel connected that oneness with the universe Uh, that's the biggest thing yeah yeah music is life i want to go out with a song right here what do you want to hear what do you want to hear well, I, you know what? I got a song for you. You want to hear? You want, let's jam to something together real quick. Okay, um, let me see what you got. Because I was going to get serious and talk about why churches should pay taxes, but I got to get my kid to bed talking about things I love and appreciate. And um, You know what? We should make that on the next episode because... <laughs> I don't know why they're tax-free. It's ridiculous. They need they're to pay wrong. taxes. Okay, let's talk about that in the next podcast. Thank you. I don't care if you listen podcasts. We're going to have people call in. Wednesday nights is the night that we um, try and do this. So if you are interested in chatting with us or you want to bring up a topic, um, reach out. The You should be able to get us via email, Leonica's website. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Reach out. We'd love to talk to you, whoever you are. If you yes, took the time to sit and listen to us, you. if you took the time to sit and listen to us, just kind of go. I don't care if you listen, but we do love you if you do. So thank you for listening and spending time with us. I have a few friends that I think might be listening. You know who you are. I and if so. you are, well, I mean, you know, if you are, I don't care. But if you are, thanks for listening. I feel like I hung out with you. That's what's on my That's mind right. these days. Uh, let's Shout go out with the song. Shout out to my sisters in Hasu for encouraging me to get on the podcast team. Sweet. Uh, thank you for encouraging her to get on the podcast thing because this is what I got to say about I that. I know that's what you were going to Imagine going to court with no trial. Lifestyle proves a blue Bahama waters. No welfare supporters. More Nights are colder. Feeling like life is over. These snakes strike like a cobra. The world's hot. My son got knocked. Evidently, it's elementary. They want us all gone eventually. Even though she stood me up for the concert, I still love her. Yeah, we need an intervention with her. Yeah, Lauren, can we talk to you, girl? I don't care if you listen. We love the world. Out of love, out of love. I love them, love them, baby. Black time is a girl. If I rule the world, like you can black Latino and Anglo-Saxon. Type of place to raise our kids in. I love them, love them, baby.
I don't care if you listen. Thanks for listening.